So, y'all ready to, to jump back in? So, we are in uh, 1 Peter. Yes, we are. And before uh, we jump back in, is it okay, Mark? I've already, like, done it. Mark, you're here today. That's a big deal. So, yeah, Mark, we, we prayed for Mark. You know, he had a little bit of a mini stroke a couple weeks ago, and he had us all a little worried. But, man, he was at the men's event on Friday night, which was great. He played cornhole. He ate pizza, and he says, there's this block of time that I remember nothing, but he's back with us. So we celebrate that, Mark. Yeah, we love you, buddy. We're glad that you're here. All right, I'm going to pray again. It's like, take a deep breath. We're jumping into the Word of God, and let's pray that the Lord would settle our hearts and our minds. <sighs> Father, I thank you. Thank you for the good thing that you're doing within our body. Lord, we've said for the past month that there has been suffering and there are trials and tribulations. And First Peter speaks into all of those things. So thank you for meeting us where we are. And Lord, I pray that you would open up this next passage to us. Get rid of the things that are in our minds, whether it be lunch or our Monday or a water leak, or whatever we've got going on. There's a lot happening right now within this body. And just help us to really hear your word. And may every word that's from Jerry just fall to the ground. But may every word that is from you sink into our hearts and change us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we couldn't find our stool this morning, so I am going to stand. And if it sounds like I got a coat and I'm speaking out of my nose, it's because I am. So sorry about that. There's not a thing in the world that I can do about it. Last week, we found ourselves smack dab in the middle of the gospel again. This is the theme all throughout chapter one. I've said it. We've said it. Peter's laying a foundation for without the gospel, nothing else that he is going to say can be understood nor will his coming charges to us that we will see, especially next week, to be holy, be attainable. It all begins with the gospel, and it begins with gospel understanding, meaning how we apply the truths of the gospel, not just the fact that Jesus died for us, but that he really loves us, that our futures are secure in him, that our identity is in him at each additional blessing that comes our way because of this amazing sacrifice that the Son of God made for us, which is really a lot of what we talked about last week. So last week we hit two truths. Uh, the first being that until Christ's resurrection, much of the gospel and gospel understanding, it was veiled. We didn't see it. We didn't understand that the prophets nor the angels fully understood these things. And I used, I'm gonna, he's going to show up again this week. I used the illustration of Bob Ross, right? So um, we had some people that left here last week and they went home and they watched Bob Ross paint a painting for the first time. Now you have lived, right? And, and he would just start off with like, I, you know, and Mike was right, I forgot to mention the happy trees, but he would just throw a little line here and a little smudge there, and you would think there's no way that this is going to be anything. He's blown it this time on national television. And then in the end, it was just beautiful. And that's the way that the gospel was. It wasn't clearly understood. It was veiled. Um, but then after the resurrection, it became understood. And it was a very personal declaration, which was our second truth, that now we see it 
And it didn't come to the patriarchs. It didn't come to the prophets. It came to us, to us. We are the recipients of this gospel in its fruition. And Hebrews 12 says that there's this great cloud of witnesses. You know, everyone that's gone before us. And they are surrounding us and they are watching how we respond to these majestic truths. They're looking to see how the truths that Jesus, the Son of God, would die for us will impact our lives. So there's where we're at. And so today we're going to start things off and we're going to pick up with a therefore. Right? You've been around long enough. You know, some of the, you guys that have been in church for a long time or even just here, anytime you see the word therefore, you got to find out what it's therefore. And in this case, it's pointing to everything that I've said thus far this morning and that we've been saying for the past three weeks. So this therefore is pointing back to the gospel and the grace that comes through the gospel, the inheritance this is borrowing from this, this, this passage that we've gone through that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. The fact that we are being, quote unquote, guarded by God's power. The fact that he has caused us to be born again to a, quote unquote, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the fact that this gospel has now come to us individually. It's all of that. So the therefore is pointing back to gospel, 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 and the words that follow will, will flow through the gospel. If you've been here for starting point or membership, you see this is our table. We use the table as a discipleship tool and the gospel's already on top. And I know you can't read the words, but leg number one is worship. And under leg number one, you've got this this, um, this revelation of what Jesus has done and our response to that. That's the first thing that you see. It's when we understand the gospel, what is our response to that gospel? And that's what First Peter is doing. He's laying the ta on the table. Here's gospel. And then once that sinks in for the rest of First Peter, it's going to be, that's the revelation. Now, how do you respond? Okay, so let's get our, the word of God out or get your journal out. If you need one, get one back in the back. Or if you don't have either one of those and it's not even on your phone, then you can look up here. But let's walk through today's passage together. Everybody ready? This is the word of God. Let's receive it as it is, the true living word of God. Therefore, see there it is, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I like to give you truths, but today I'm not going to give you truths. I'm going to give you three specific questions related to our thinking, our hope, and our conduct. 
And if you're in community group, you'll see in the worship guide, it looks a little bit different. So there's a few fill in the blanks, but these are the questions that you're going to be pondering along with the sub questions underneath it. And you're going to take those into your community groups uh, this week. So let's look at the beginning of that passage again. Let's just start there. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. That's where he's starting. Author and speaker Zig Ziglar used to say that many folks need to get rid of their stinking thinking and get a checkup from their neck up. I always thought that that was clever, and it's true. So think about that for a second. As believers, as Jesus followers, where do most of our battles take place? It's in our minds, isn't it? It's what we choose to believe or fear or have anxiety over or not believe. And John Kuna, our brother, he came to us two weeks in a row and he used uh, Romans 12, one through two as a backdrop. And it says that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices and to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. The renewal of our minds is absolutely necessary if we are to have victory as believers. It's absolutely necessary. And although I could spend a lot of time looking at multiple passages showing how absolutely critical that the, the intake and digestion of the Word of God is to receiving this, this, this truth that enables us to renew our minds, we're not going to take time to do that this morning. We'll, we'll look at that later. It will be in Second Peter, hopefully when we jump into Second Peter. But we know that if we don't regularly receive the truths from the Word of God, there isn't a reset. There isn't a renewal. There's no way that we can move forward without these truths, without time in the Word of God, which is why in my own personal discipleship relationships, and hopefully in yours as well, as we're you know, stepping into conversations with, with men and women, one of the first questions should be, tell me about your time in the Word of God. And when you hear, well, you know what, I just don't read my Bible very often, that's a great place to stop. And let's talk about that. Let's step into that. And, and I've said it over and over, that one of the reasons that we struggle with praying and that we struggle with being in the Word of God is because it is a spiritual endeavor. Our flesh will fight against it. We will want to do everything else but. We will want to sweep the floors. We will want to clean the bathrooms. You know, to, to go to ESPN to see who won the ball games. Anything but reading the Word of God and praying, and that should tell us, oh, this is spiritual. Maybe I should do this. In 2 Peter 1, which is one of my favorite passages, this is what it says. I want you to look at this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. See that? The knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his, very, his precious and very great promises, so that through them, through what? through these precious and great promises that we may be partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. I quote this passage to myself often, being reminded that God's divine power 
has given me what I need to be a, a faithful Jesus follower, but also to be a good husband and also to be a good dad. And when I fail in those areas, it's probably because I'm believing something different and I'm not tapping into the truths of the word of God. But this divine power doesn't come with a wave of the wand or pixie dust being sprinkled upon us. It comes, as this passage says, through the knowledge of him via these great and precious promises. And that's what First Peter is saying when he's telling us to prepare our minds for action and to be sober-minded. He's, he's reminding us the Spirit of God and the grace of Jesus, Titus says, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to say yes to the gospel over and over again. To be reminded in the Word of God that we are stating what we've already read in 1 Peter, we're born again. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, in God's hands, protected, being guarded through faith by him. And we will one day receive the outcome our faith, of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And the reminder as we're in the word of God to see that what was veiled for thousands of years has now come to us. We are recipients of the truth, the gospel, the gospel. And once we receive this truth, and once we renew our minds with gospel truth, not just that Jesus died, that God has pursued us, and he has loved us well, and our future is in his hands, and our identity is wrapped up in what Jesus has done, that enables us to renew our minds, to prepare our minds for action, to be sober-minded. Look at the passage again. Therefore, or everything I just said, because of these gospel truths, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He knows that the enemy will try to tell us otherwise, to have us forget, to believe a lie, and therefore to live defeated lives. It's what he does. He's the father of lies. And the one who often says, did God really say? He started that in Genesis and he continues it to this day. Revelation 12 says that he, the enemy, accuses the brethren day and night. That's us. We are the brethren and why would he do that? Why would he accuse us day and night? Because if he can get us to believe a lie, if he can get us out of the word of God and questioning our faith, questioning the Lord's love for us, well, let me ask you this way. How productive that you would you be in furthering the kingdom of God and speaking the name of Jesus to your neighbors and your friends, how productive would you be in that endeavor if in your mind you were doubting yourself all the time, if you were doubting whether you're even saved or not, 
or whether the Lord really loves you or not. Whether he cares what this thing is that you're going through or whether he's just left you to yourself. Those are the lies of the enemy. And if your minds are not holding on to gospel truth and you're not renewed, then what will happen is you'll just kind of spin around trying to figure those things out instead of being gospel focused and being on mission as an ambassador, as though he's making his appeal through us. We'll not do that. So this gospel understanding and this renewal of our minds, this preparing our minds for action, and this being sober-minded, it's critical. And it's not just saying, you know, just be careful about, you know, watching movies or what you're listening to. All of those are true. And we need to do those things. But under the context of what this passage is talking about, which is, are you believing these truths about the gospel or are you listening to messages that would have you doubt these truths? So yes, it does tie into our entertainment and what we listen to and who we surround ourselves with, who our friends are, and all of those kinds of things because we want to consistently be reminded of what the truths of the word of God are. And that's what he's doing in First Peter. He's getting ready to say, be holy, for God is holy. And if we're not careful, we'll just read that passage and say, okay, what do I need to do to be holy? How can I be good? How can I be righteous? What list do I keep? What list do I stay away from? And we, if we try to do those things apart from the gospel, then we've been sucked into religion. And that's not a good thing. In a very good and in, um, just in a very insightful uh, a, a book that I just recommend to you, if you haven't read this, it's called The Search for Significance. The Search for Significance by Robert McGee. I've read it multiple times because I've needed to read it multiple times. Search for Significance for, by Robert McGee. He reminds us of these four common traps of the enemy, and I'm going to throw them up here for you. The first one is this performance trap. Satan says, if I do not perform at a certain level, I will not have self-worth. It's what the enemy will tell us over and over and over. If I don't perform, right, then I do not have self-worth. And God says, nothing that we could ever do or not do is going to cause him to love us less than what he already loves us in Christ Jesus. The second one is acceptance or this acceptance trap. Satan says that until we are accepted by certain people, we will not have self-worth. Unless people like us, unless people receive us. It's not true. Many re rejected Jesus and he was perfect. He is perfect. The third lie Satan says it's the blame trap that if we don't perform or are not accepted, someone is to blame. It's that woman you gave me. 
You know, we, we, we were so quick to blame it on other people. You see that even with Adam and Eve at the very beginning, and we do the same thing. Instead of holding on to our sin and repenting, we're always trying to blame. Well, the reason I'm this way is because of my parents or my surroundings or my school or whatever or whomever. It's the blame trap. And we have to replace that with gospel truth. And then there's the shame trap. Satan says that we are what we are, and there's not anything that we can do. We cannot change. There are probably more traps than that, but these are all four lies of the enemy. The performance trap, the acceptance trap, the blame trap, and the shame trap. And the enemy wants to get you sucked into one of those traps, into one of those worlds, because that's where your thinking will then go, and you'll be lulled in to one or more. Maybe it's two or three or four of those traps. And during this endeavor into these lies and these traps, you'll probably do very little for the kingdom of God. Right? That's what First Peter is saying. That's the same reason that Paul hit gospel, gospel, gospel in chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians before he then said kind of therefore, and this is how you live it out. Peter's doing the same thing. In our minds, that's where the battle begins. So that leads us to question number one. This one's in your worship guide if you're filling in the notes. And here's the question. For you and for me, am I regularly replacing the lies and the traps of the enemy with gospel truths found in the word of God? It's a good question, and it's a serious question. If not, we'll never be victorious. Instead, things like anxiety, shame, fear, worry, they will consume our minds, making us unproductive as his ambassadors and off mission and with no gospel boldness. So let's pray through that question and take it before the Lord this morning. Let's go back to our passage. First Peter 1.13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. And then he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Of course, everything that he said from verse number one to this point, it all flows together. So if we're reminded of the glories um, and truths of the gospel regularly, those truths will trump the various traps of the enemies. And when that happens, we will find that we're no longer hoping in the things of the world, but rather in the grace that will come to us fully when Christ is revealed and the grace that has already come to us through salvation. In other words, at the very beginning of this, Sam talked about how we are exiles and how this was written to exiles. And we will begin to see ourselves as exiles in this world and feeling not at home like we once did, recognizing that our citizenship is elsewhere. Paul put it this way. He said, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Man, you talk about hope 
You talk about a renewal of the mind and preparing a mind for action and being sober-minded. Paul's looking and saying, what's there is better than what's here. But while I'm here, I will be on mission. And when we do that, we can detect. We receive the word of God. We receive these truths. We can detect and dismiss the enemy's lies quickly. I'm not saying that it's easy. I find myself sometimes hoping in all of the wrong things. It's easy to get off track. This is why we need the word of God. But it's also why we desperately need each other. Encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today. Encourage each other in what way? Come on, you got this. You, you can do it. That's okay. That's a good start. But how about reminding one another of who we are in Christ? Give each other the word of God. Give each other these gospel truths. With me sometimes and with you, maybe, if I could just make this amount of money, you know, if I could just lose 28 pounds, 29 pounds. If I could just get this promotion or this degree or find a mate or find a better mate or whatever, you know, but we find ourselves longing for things that are in this world and thinking if I just had that, then maybe I would be okay. And the gospel just, just minimizes those things and makes them small. And that's what First Peter is doing, and that's what we're trying to do this morning, to adjust our dials, to remind ourselves that we're exiles, and this is what the gospel says about us, and this is the catalyst for everything else that Peter's going to say in this amazing book. In their song, A Beautiful Letdown, the band Switchfoot, yeah, I'm a Switchfoot fan, puts it this way. I just love this. This came to me as I was preparing the sermon. He says, or they say, it was a beautiful letdown when I crashed and burned, when I found myself alone, unknown, and hurt. It was a beautiful letdown the day that I knew that all the riches this world had to offer would never do. In a world full of bitter pain and bitter doubts, I was trying so hard to fit in until I found out I don't belong here. I don't belong here. No, I can sing it. And he says, I will carry a cross in a song where I don't belong. I don't belong. What a beautiful letdown to recognize, oh, no wonder I feel so out of place. It's because I am in exile. Jesus has recreated me, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, for something better, for something bigger. And this world will never satisfy. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm not putting this one up on the screen. It was way too lengthy. I just want us to walk through this passage. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible, just maybe close your eyes and listen. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage. So I'm going to read the whole thing. Verse number four, you ready? It says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced, renounced disgraceful 
underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, little g, as in the enemy, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Past tense, we've received it. He's done that. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. You're a jar of clay and I am a jar of clay. And he gives us this treasure, 7b, to show what the surpassing power belongs, to, that it belongs to God and not to us. And now we're back to First Peter language. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For, he, for we who live are always given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so also speak. Knowing that, knowing that, he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. You talk about a renewal of the mind. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends more and more people to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And listen to how he finishes these last three verses, which I encourage you to commit to memory. So how do we renew our minds? How do we adjust the dial? Listen to this. So we don't lose heart. Though our outward self, our clay jar, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look as exiles, not to the things that are seen in this world, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're temporary. They'll fade away. But the things that are unseen, these gospel truths in 1 Peter and all throughout the word of God, they're eternal. What a great way to renew our minds. This is what I'm talking about. It's the word of God like this with pen or highlighter in hand and with a prayer to God. Help me to see a truth that I need to replace a lie, a trap of the enemy. And you receive this and you believe it and you renounce the enemy and you go serve as an exile 
in this world for the kingdom. And Jesus will be forming himself greater through you and you will be victorious. Jesus came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. And that happens when he is formed in us. In this passage that I just read, why do we not lose heart? Because we remember that our hope is in God, that this is temporary. The pain, the struggle, the trials, whatever it is, this is temporary. And that enables us to endure those trials. And that brings us to question number two for today. Question number two. On what, if you want to write it in your worship guide, or on whom are you currently putting your hope? On what or on whom are you honestly, before God, putting your hope? Peter's reminding us to think properly, to remember the glory of the gospel, and doing so to put our hope fully in Christ and in the grace that will come to fruition when we see him face to face. Or as verse number nine says, that we have the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's what we hope in, and that's who we hope in. And then Peter ends this particular thought by opening up the door to our next subject that we'll look at next week. Look at it with me. Back to our passage. 14 through 16, he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, also be holy in all your conduct. Be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Yes, we were formerly uh, formerly ignorant, either not seeing our sins for what they were, maybe thinking that we could work our way into heaven, maybe saying the world is my oyster and it's all about me, I am the axis that the world rotates on, or whatever. But there was ignorance that was there before we received the gospel. Lots and lots of ways that we were ignorant. But now, now that we see, church, now that we know, now that these truths have been revealed to us in a very real and a personal way, well, now what? And that's where he's going to go next. Now, now understand that Christ died for you. He's given you identity. He's given you purpose. He lives within you. He gives you the power to live this life. Now, now, and then he steps into be holy. Because of all of these truths, Christ within you enables you to be holy in all of your conduct. Not to try to win his approval, but because of what he has done. Remember the table? Gospel, leg number one, worship. Subheading is revelation of what Jesus has done. And my response to that, my response to that, one of them is to be holy, separate, set apart, different in all my conduct. 
not to be conformed to the world, not to act like my friends do, but to say no to ungodliness and yes to the gospel. It's the Imago Dei response, the image of God and the fact that we have been made in Imago Dei, the image of God, the very image of God, which mandates that we reflect him with our lives. That's not a call to religion or morality in the bad sense of the word, but in the good sense that we are religious in that we go to the word of God and we spend time with the Lord. And the morality is that we ask what pleases him and what displeases him and how can he be formed in us, not so that we can work our way into heaven, that happens through Christ, but that we can reflect him well to this world in all your conduct. And that leads us to our last question of the day, question number three. Chew on this one. I am. Are there areas in your lives where your conduct, if you're filling in the blanks, does not reflect a holy response to the Lord's glorious gospel? A gospel that he has revealed to us. Yes, to us. Next week, Adam Stein, our brother, we see great things in Adam and we've given him the opportunity to come and speak next week and I cannot wait to sit under his teaching. But Adam is going to take us to that next step of the response to the gospel as it relates to be holy for I am holy. Question three, I didn't put it up there. And then lastly, here's our passage. One more time. Then I'm praying. Putting it all back together. Thinking about everything that we've just said. Listen to the word of God one more time. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace of God that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Three important questions for all of us. We show up on Sunday mornings to hear the word of God, to see what the spirit of God is doing amongst us. We've got three questions that I ask that each of us prayerfully take to the Lord and allow him to renew our minds and to walk out of here with, with better, proper, needed gospel understanding and trample on the lies of the enemy as we walk out the doors. The liar the thief, he wants to rob you of that victory. Let's not allow him. Let's, let's bow in prayer. Lord, this is your word. This is your church. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. Now just challenge us. 
Lord, may we recognize that there are areas where we need to confess, and I pray that we would confess well, that we would repent well, and that we would believe the gospel well. Just be still before the Lord for a minute.